This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Gray Hospital. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's podcast dedicated to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy and Richard are away on another secret mission this week, but I have two special guests today. My first guest is Brandon Shamatala, host of Melodic Treks, co-host of Warp 5, co-host of The Edge, Patreon manager. This guy is everywhere on Trek FM. How are you today? Well, I'm doing just fine, Justin. I really appreciate coming on here, Justin. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> Justin, that's your name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I get what you're doing. Good to see you. <laughs> Come on, do the joke, do the joke. One's my name, the other is not. <laughs> yes, one is my name, the other is not. Okay, you got me you got me to do it. You got me to do it. All right, and as you might hear, I have a second special guest today. It's Star Trek author Una McCormack joining us from the UK. How are you doing today, Una? I'm fine. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Great to have you here. Um, so I wanted to actually start out teasing maybe a little bit of, of the topic here. Uh, so Brandon had come to me with an idea to talk about uh, Dr. Pulaski because, as a lot of people know, he loves Dr. Pulaski. Um, and his idea was also to uh, bring on uh, Una McCormack, who's uh, written some Star Trek novels, but also some that have brought in Dr. Pulaski, and I assume is a fan of Dr. Pulaski. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to actually start out uh, talking with you a, a little bit, Una. If you could just uh, you know, talk with some of our, our listeners. So I know you've been on um, episodes of Literary Treks, talking about some of your novels. Uh, you've been on The Orb, talking about Garrick, who's one of your favorite characters. You've done a lot of things for, for Deep Space Nine, but I just wanted to have you talk a little bit about, you know, your relationship to Star Trek, how you, how you found it, you know, your relationship to the next generation and the character of Pulaski. Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I think being British, uh, if, if people haven't worked that out yet, I am indeed British, um, it, your relationship to Trek is, is often a bit different depending on uh, when it was broadcast in the UK. So I didn't see uh, much of the original series for a very, very long time. And I think like um, many people my age, I uh, I actually got into Star Trek through the movies, during the, the movies, the films, I should say, during the 1980s. Um, and then this was all perfectly timed because uh, just as I was sort of 15, 16, 17, uh, Next Gen started coming out in the States. 
And this was this was super exciting. You were thinking, oh, this is great. This is a new show. But because we couldn't stream or download or anything like that, you had to wait about a year until the videos arrived at your local blockbuster video. Uh, and then you would kind of go off and get those. I, 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 would, I was in sixth form by this time, sort of about 17 or 18, um, at the sort of top end of high school. Uh, and, and every Friday, I would spend my Friday night, while all my friends are out drinking and being proper teenagers, I would get a new pair of Star Trek Next Generation episodes. And that would be my Friday nights, would be watching season one and season two Next Gen. And I, I loved it. I, th- I thought it looked... Um, uh, it, I thought it looked great. It, look, it looks pretty dated now. I think it looks, you know, quite quite staged. Um, but I, I liked the serious of, seriousness of the storytelling. I thought there was a kind of attempt to do morality plays or think things through. Think of things like Measure of a Man. Very early on, they're trying to think through stories, uh, and um, it appealed to me very, very much. Uh, and from there, I. Uh, I, I sort of immediately went to the library, local library, and they were getting in the paperback books. They were getting in next-gen um, paperback books as they were coming out. So I must have been about 16, 17. I'd seen the films, seen a little bit of original series, but next-gen was really the first track that I watched uh, like a fan, wanting to watch it again and again and going off and trying to consume other stuff. Um, and then because we were in the UK... Uh, what would happen is that Americans would would send us little care packages of episodes that we hadn't seen yet. So these little parcels would arrive, and we would we would sit in darkened rooms on Saturday afternoons and watch them. And you'd have to. It was very complex. You had to convert from the American format to the British format of videotape. So they were terrible copies. And that was that was our Saturday afternoons. You know, the the sun outside, the curtains drawn watching bad episodes of bad looking episodes of next gen so um that was my relationship to 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 trek and to uh next gen was kind of my gateway in i think so uh so i am a fan even though perhaps people know me a bit better for deep space nine stuff that that's that's really wonderful i always love hearing people's stories of how they get into into star trek Uh, so tell us how you got into writing star trek novels this really was a, a stroke of luck i uh i i got into deep space nine quite late in the game a friend of mine um uh persuaded me to watch it i was a big babylon 5 fan and he was oh this is a you know you'll enjoy this and i was oh you know it's not straczynski but he made me watch deep space nine and i I started to catch up with the show as it's ending um so i'm buying videotapes just as the show is uh is finishing transmitting and so on and um i i really the the whole sort of end of cardassia I, i really really moved me and the way I respond to things that, you know, I, I, I've got very emotionally involved in is I have to write about them. So I started writing fan fiction and um, I started posting it on the internet, which was a, a thing that was happening at that time. That's where are we? About 1999, aren't we? So um, I started posting fan fiction online uh, and people were reading it. They were saying it was nice and it was great and everything. Uh, and then out of the blue, I got an email from uh, somebody called Marco Palmieri. And he said, hello, I'm the editor of the Star Trek books. Would you like to pitch a story? Because I've heard your fiction's quite good. Uh, and I, I said, that would be very nice. Thank you very much. And I pitched a story and he liked it. And eventually that became my, um, my, first, novel, Hol- uh, my first novel, which is Hollow Men. So we did a novella and a short story. Uh, and then we did a, a novel called Hollow Men. So I, I, I wasn't, I know lots of people, I tell this to friends of mine who, who write Doctor Who books and things, and they go, we cannot believe 
you know, we've been, we've been knocking at this door for years and pitching and pitching and, you know, praying to the gods of, uh, of, of, of commissions and you just sort of got asked to do one. So I was very, very lucky and, um, and it's been a lot of fun, I have to say. Uh, it, it's not the way you usually get it done, but it, it was the way it happened to me. That's pretty amazing. Um, now, with your books that come along later on, I would like to ask about The Missing, because that's going to lead into our discussion today. What made you to decide to write a novel where Pulaski's the captain of her own ship? Um, uh, she's oh, Technically, she's not the captain. It's sort of a, a I think she's a, she's, but she's quite senior, isn't she? But I, I definitely wanted her the lead of a novel. Uh, a friend and I, a friend of mine who's a big Deep Space Nine fan, and I were joking about how brilliant it would be if we could do a sort of murder she wrote, but with Pulaski uh, as <laughs> as the as the as the lead, uh, and uh, he was sort of sending me images of her in kind of like Miss Marple hats and cardigans and things. And I thought this is too good to pass up, so why don't I why don't I pitch Pulaski investigates, uh, and and they they bought it. <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting that. I thought that was a bit of a a private joke to me and a, a friend. Uh, and, um, and and that's where it came from. We were sort of joking about how she'd make a great uh, sort of um, uh, Miss Marple or, or, or Jessica, what's her name, uh, investigates uh, character. Wouldn't it be great to have her investigating tri- uh, crime amongst the teacups? Uh, and I pitched it and, and they, well, yeah, put it on a spaceship. Uh, and then I thought that probably what would happen with Pulaski, I've, I've got quite a, a, quite an idea of Pulaski in my head, which I'm not entirely sure matches on what's in the programme. But I have a feeling that people go, for the, for the love of all that's good, please get her on a ship somewhere and send her off into the distance. So that's why they give her the, uh, the sort of money to have her own ship. I, I think they really they want her busy and slightly far away from them. So that was the idea behind the ship. Uh, and then I, I wanted to sort of, uh, the, the ship that she's on is a science special, vessel. I wanted to get her back exploring. And, um, uh, and that fitted in with what the book range was trying to do. They were talking about the books that had a lot of sort of big storylines about battle arcs and, and sort of going back into the history of Trek. And they, they kind of went, okay, this year we're just going to do a ship on an adventure. So we'll go back to that kind of adventure, quite straightforward Trek idea. Uh, and, and that was where the missing came from. So Pulaski investigates these are the voyages. That was the sort of the idea. That, that's great. And also you included Pulaski in your most recent novel, Enigma Tales, right? I did, yeah. I, I think once I'd, uh, once I'd had a bit of fun with her, I thought, well, the only way I can have more fun with her is to put her in a book with Garrick and see exactly how much she annoys him which is quite a lot. So, <laughs> so that, that was just really good fun. Um, and um, I, I think what I like about the character of Pulaski is, uh, although she's quite abrasive um, and she's quite frank, I think there's something very genuine and honest about her. And I had great fun in, in Enigma Tales of her um, looking at what's happened to Cardassia and, and, and in the books, Cardassia sort of rebuilds. Uh, and, and she's quite... Um, awed and impressed by that uh, and as a result the kind of Cardassian people take them take her to heart and sort of adopt her as, as one of their own so uh, I, I, I really enjoyed putting her there and I think there was a lot of um, there was a lot of innocent fun in having her annoy Garrick uh, who I think would be very easily annoyed by her so I had a lot of fun in Enigma Tales they were they were a great pair of characters to put together 
Yeah, I think it worked really well. I really enjoyed Enigma Tales, but I mean, I'm partial to both those characters as well. And um, I, I tweeted Paula Block one day and I said, how can we get Una McCormick to write the definitive backstory for Pulaski? That's what I want to see. Pulaski, the early years, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah complete with the, um, uh, I think there's, there are a series of sort of um, uh, broken hearted men who uh, have never quite got past her but are sort of a bit relieved it's over, I think, is, is how I imagine it. I, I th- I've said this before, but I imagine her as the kind of lead of a screwball comedy. Uh, and um, it, there's, there's just this sort of energy and fun and adventure around her that I, I just really enjoy writing. Right on. Well, John Van Sitters, if you're listening, come on. Call Una. Let's get, <laughs> let's get this book happening. The ultimate- Pulaski, the early years. Or just a, just a series of Pulaski Investigates. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> You could do like the, uh, oh, I can't remember the author's name, but you could be like P is for Pulaski and like, you know, the, all those letter ones. K is for Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm up for that. So if you're listening, guys, please, you know my number. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, thanks for, for talking about, um, you know, how you got into Star Trek and, and the novels and what you think about Pulaski and all of that. But but I know Brandon Shamatala, you're one of Pulaski's biggest fans. So tell us what you like a lot about Pulaski. Well, I discovered Star Trek The Next Generation really in season six. So it was it was with Chain of Command Part 1 was the live airing of that episode, and that's when I discovered it. And so I rapidly consumed as much of it as I could, and I watched it through. And so there was this weird little oddity in season two where there's this other character. I knew nothing of Star Trek fandom at the time. I knew nothing of the behind the scenes, but I always felt that this was a really cool character. And I, I didn't really get involved in social media until about 2015. And I had gone to a convention in 2012. And while I was there, I actually managed to meet Diana Muldar. I got her autographed and I actually got to tell her, I said, I loved Pulaski. And personally, I thought she was a better character than Crusher. Now, that's not anything against Gates McFadden. I think it's just writing. And I thought they really wrote an interesting character with Pulaski. And as a fan of Pulaski, I find it frustrating that people boil it down to one interaction between Data and her, why they don't like her. Data, she was mean to Data. I don't like Pulaski. She's crotchety and old. And to me, that's not the character that I see when I watch Pulaski. I see a fascinating character that has a lot of growth throughout one season of the show and a character who I think, I think she had more growth than, than Crusher had in the six seasons that she was on. And I know that people, they don't like to compare them and whatnot, but I mean, you have to because they were both the chief medical officer on this ship, on the same ship. There are numerous examples of why I think Pulaski is great. And I mean, one of them is in The Child, and a lot of people say they don't like how Pulaski was introduced in The Child because they think that it's it's a bad introduction to her because Picard's mad at her and Picard sees her in and has no respect for her right off the bat, and he doesn't he doesn't go and meet her like a captain should, and they're just immediately putting this character in a bad situation. I go back to encounter at Farpoint, and Picard didn't meet Crusher on the ship either. It's like halfway through the second part. When he finally gets down to sickbay and says, look, sorry, I didn't meet you on the ship when you came aboard. So there's no difference there. And to me, Pulaski's introduction makes Picard look foolish because he just automatically makes this assumption about this person who's like, oh, she's in the bar. She must be terrible. And she's down there dealing with the situation. 
She's doing her job speaking with Counselor Troy about what's going on. So in my opinion, that introduction makes Pulaski look like an important character because she just pushes off Picard's abrasiveness right at the beginning and says, Picard, you need to sit down and listen to this because we got a situation going on. So in my opinion, it's a strong introduction for this character. Yeah, later on, we get the situation where she doesn't understand data. But in my opinion, we are never, ever going to end up in a situation where artificial intelligence can mimic humanity the way that Brent Spiner portraying data can. So I believe that she wouldn't accept as easily that this is an individual as our crew accepts him because she's just met him. He's a robot. He's a tricorder to her. She's never dealt with him before. I think she's a bit set up. Uh, the character's a bit set up, though, because you need someone and in the script to be saying these things so mm. that the viewer understands what's going on. So it's almost like she's, uh, she's stuck with those lines in a way. Somebody has to be saying these things so that the viewer understands what the, what the jeopardy is. Uh, you find this when you're writing, you kind of go, well, I need someone. It's like the doctor's companion. You need someone going, but what does this mean? Or, but the, the consequence of this is this. And I think I, I always feel Pulaski gets a bit, stitched up in that episode actually mm -hmm. uh, she has to be saying the bad things because we need someone in the plots to be saying them otherwise i adore the episode i think it's fabulous yeah right so then we get evolution with Pulaski's character throughout the season and by the time we get to pen pals and they're having this discussion over the prime directive issue of this planet she is 100 percent in data's court so i have a clip that i'd like us to take a listen to see the prime directive has many different functions, not the least of which is to protect us, to prevent us from allowing our emotions to overwhelm our judgment. My emotions are involved. Data's friend is going to die. That means something. To Data. Does that invalidate the emotion? So in this clip, she says, Data's friend is in trouble. Worf's, and does that matters? Worf says to data and Pulaski responds, but does that invalidate the emotion? Like she's acknowledging what she sees in data. She spent time with him and learned, Hey, this is more than just a robot. This is a person as well. So this character grows throughout the season. And for me, the other example of her that makes her such a fascinating character is in Up the Long Ladder when she has the tea scene with Worf. Okay, that scene, there, Crusher never got anything like that in the entire six runs. The way that she's reacting to Worf, how honored she is about this tea ceremony, and how she's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to take the antidote and deal with the consequences later. Let's do this because this is an honor that you are bringing this to me. And then quote me some more of that love poetry. <laughs> right? I don't know. I think Pulaski is a fascinating character. There's other examples. We're going to talk about um, for growth of the character in Shades of Grey. I mean, yeah, she's abrasive, but in that episode, Picard goes up to her. He's like, what can I do to help? And she's like, get out of my hair. And he says, yes, sir, doctor. And they've got a friendship by the end of the season that's developed. And I just don't understand why the majority of Star Trek fans don't see the growth of this character through through the season. I think for all of the reasons that that you guys have have laid out, I like Pulaski as a character. She's very upfront, very honest. She's a really excellent doctor. I mean, she's she's not making huge mistakes. It's clear she knows what what she's talking about. But now that we've talked a little bit about what we think of of Pulaski, it's not going to be the focus of the episode just to 
just to talk about her character, but we want to talk about it in the context of doing a rewrite. Um, and the last episode that Dr. Pulaski appeared in is the infamous season two finale, Shades of Grey, uh, often considered one of the worst episodes, not only in The Next Generation, but in all of Star Trek, because a lot of it is a clip show where they're just going over clips of of things that have happened previously, which is supposed to help Riker in, in his condition. Um, since Brendan wanted us to get us together um, to talk about Pulaski, I wanted to see if we could do a rewrite of Shades of Grey as a more appropriate send-off uh, for, for Dr. Pulaski. Um, we'll do that on the fly today, hoping it, it'll be a lot of fun and the, the result is something that you find interesting. And I think if you're listening to this, even if you're not a fan of Dr. Pulaski, we think you'll have a, a good time listening to us uh, do this. Uh, so I wanted to start out by by asking an initial question. So I was re-watching Shades of Grey recently. It definitely has a, a bad reputation. It's actually the worst rated episode on IMDb of all 729 adventures in Star Trek. So the, think of the worst episode you can think of and the children shall lead, threshold, whatever. They're all rated higher. So so <laughs> if I take a look at that, it's 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 considered the worst episode in, in Star Trek. But if you actually take a, a look back at it, I was rewatching the, the first 15 minutes of it before the clips come in. And it's actually really interesting, the problem that's presented and the mystery that's there. So my first question for you is, in doing this rewrite, should we keep that first 15 minutes or, or elements of it or just chuck it out and start from scratch? Well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Riker. So, uh, you know, any, any way that I can have him as, uh, you know, giving a quip in the opening scene and a quip in the ending scene is sort of always the way I'd go with an episode. So that, that would mean a complete rewrite, I think. I'd, go, I'd kind of look at it and go, I've got Pulaski, Riker. Yeah, we'll take him out. We'll put in data because that's, that's where the meat is to me. That's uh, a, 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 a trio of uh, Picard, Data, and um, uh, Pulaski is, is where I would go. But you, you, could, you could try and make me work harder for my, uh, my paycheck on this episode and make me write a good Riker episode. <laughs> Brandon, what do you think? Well, I kind of like the idea of keeping what we had at the start of Shades of Grey, because it was an interesting idea that she's got this really difficult medical challenge ahead of her, and it keeps Riker out of it for the whole episode anyway. That's true. We could just keep him comatose or something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, maybe just to give a a little bit of a a refresher of what you know, actually happens in that in that first fifteen minutes. So it it actually starts out with Riker and and Jordy. They're surveying some swampy kind of planet, and Riker's been stuck by some kind of of plant. Um, and they're you know getting ready to beam back up, but it looks like it might be a bad injury. They can't transport Riker up uh, because the biofilter can't filter it out. I mean, in the course of this. Pulaski does an analysis and finds it's not a bacteria, it's not a virus, but it has elements of both, which I find kind of a fascinating idea. And they find that this plant on the planet actually preys on animals and kind of has a symbiotic relationship, I guess, with this this organism in order to to kill animal life for whatever reason. Data says there's no animal life within 50 kilometers, which seems bizarre, but... but um, there is this really interesting medical issue with something she's never seen before, 
doesn't have a cure for and really has to figure out uh, what's what's going on. And, you know, eventually Riker's leg gets numb and the rest of him and, you know, he he's pretty much comatose. So are there are there I mean, did you want to, to kind of keep that part of it or the element of this really mysterious new kind of bug? There are elements uh, that I could see that you that you could sort of turn into jeopardy. I think um, uh, maybe if the life form that you immediately get plot if the life form uh, evidence is some degree of uh, uh, sentience. Mm-hmm. So uh, is it is it doing this because it's uh, we know that the area around it is destroyed. Has 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 it done it, or or is it the last of its kind, or is it a an endangered species? If it has sentience, then we have to start thinking about its survival as much as we do uh, Rikers. So uh, there are certainly elements of that that we could play with. Brandon, what do you think? Would you keep some of that, or um... I would, and I think what I might change. I was just thinking based on something you said there. What if instead of Data and Jordy beaming down to get that thorn? What if it ended up being a Pulaski and Data story where th- where Pulaski went down with Data to try and find out because she needed to get more information on this, and they ended up stuck on the planet somehow, and rather than on the ship, and therefore we would have that final Data and Pulaski adventure together. We could. the The other thing that was going through my mind as well uh, is uh, because we have no constraints of of budget or uh, what sort of cast we can bring in. I wonder whether the, the thing that I think is, is badly missing from Trek is the episode where Crusher and Pulaski have to work together and have to be the, you know, uh, a, 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 who's the chief medical officer there? Uh, do they respect each other's um, uh, technical knowledge or are they, uh, uh, you know, is there some degree of competition between them? The way that, the way that fans talk about them, yeah? Mm-hmm. Which is the better doctor? And I, I would love to have seen them on screen together. Uh, so the way I, I would sort of have this is, uh, in some way, it's Pulaski coming to the end of her tenure as CMO and Crusher coming back on. I, I'd love to have them working together in some way in this episode. Okay. Um, uh, but I, I've got my wish list now of, of things that I, I wanted to have seen. So we've got, uh, but uh, you suggest Data and Pulaski down there. So presumably it would be uh, Pulaski who would be infected rather than Riker? No, it's when um, when Geordi and Data go down to get the thorn, uh, replace Geordi with Pulaski. Poor old Jordy. He's one of those characters that I think you kind of go, well, I think we can replace him with someone else. <laughs> Let's put Pulaski in there. But I, I'm up for more data and Pulaski. Absolutely. I think they make a very interesting, I, to some extent, it's replicating McCoy and Spock, isn't it? I think, mm-hmm. but that, that kind of relationship with one very, both very intelligent, but their intelligence perhaps emerging from uh, uh, a different source. I like in that clip from um, Pen Pals, Pulaski is asserting uh, her emotional intelligence as a good reason to do something, as much as her intellectual uh, uh, reasoning ability. Um, so uh, they will always make good copy, I think. They'll always make good television. Yeah, so, so what if it would be something like, um, you know, Pulaski is coming to the end of, of her, her tenure on, on the ship. For some reason, it's just a one-year temporary assignment and there's some explanation for it. And at the beginning, you see... You know, uh, Crusher 
come on, you know, basically to, to relieve her. But as things are happening on this survey planet, this medical emergency happens. Um, and then in order to, to, to get a sample and figure out what's, what's going on, because it's something that's so mysterious, um, they figure that they'll have Pulaski, Crusher, and Data go down to really investigate and try to figure out what's going on. I'm good with that. Sure, fine. Yeah, let's budgets out the window. Let's just do this. We'll get all three of them. <laughs> and then we could play. We could p- play on um, Crusher's knowledge from one of my favorite scenes with Crusher's from the Arsenal of Freedom, which was never developed. Is when she's like, "Okay, taste this root, rub this root, cush this root." Right. So Crusher has all this knowledge that she got. I think it was from her grandma. You know that they talk about Dark Page, uh, herbalism and stuff. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. So maybe uh, Crusher can see something that Pulaski doesn't, and they they work they have to work together to come up with a solution. Right. So yeah. And who are we who are we going to infect with the thing? Are we gonna are we gonna keep it Riker because it gets him off screen? You know what I always well actually you know what I always felt about this this episode was that you know having Riker um, get infected with this thing is is fine but if you could figure out some way that it's it's picard that you know the jeopardy of it and the the stakes of it increase you know maybe instead of it being this swampy jungle there's some interesting like archaeological site that picard wants to check out and in the course of that he gets attacked by by this plan and he's the one that's that's kind of in in jeopardy during the episode I definitely care more about um, about Picard being in jeopardy. Do we think that he? Uh, do we think that we know he's always going to have to pull through? Is it? But then we would think that with any cat. Although having said that, they do kill Tasha, so you you kind of go, well, everything's in doubt uh, mm-hmm. on next gen, isn't it? Um, and if we if we know that they swap in the, we'd always kill Picard at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's well, off. This could have been the we, game changer. Couldn't we've it? just created the uh, McCormick timeline. <laughs> Sorry. It's very, very dark. Uh, <laughs> well, it's very dark for you because Riker would be captain. <laughs> That's extremely dark. I think, yeah, yeah. Oh, but we have gone down the wrong leg of the trouser of time there. I think. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I am happy with that. So, or do we, uh, so Riker, I think we, I think also I feel there's a sort of, um, there's an interesting triangle between Picard, Crusher, and Pulaski. Uh, the the relationships are sort of interesting there. I think because they all seem a little bit older, a bit more, a bit more mature. Uh, but there are there are various sort of tensions that are unresolved between them. I, I care more about those characters than I do about Riker. Although I know that's not true. I know people are, are really invested in Riker. Um, but as 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 we said, it does it does. Um, it does get him out of the episode for most of the episode. <laughs> Not in the original, of course. We just go into clips. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, I say let's leave it at Riker. Okay. And then, yeah, we'll have we'll have Crusher and Data and Pulaski on the planet. Sure. Investigating, and then and they got to figure something out. Uh, what as to and they have to deal with the tools that they've got down there to find a a cure. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, sort of when I was rewatching Shades of Grey, uh, you kind of think we've we've sort of got this setup, but I I don't feel like that this bacteria or whatever it is, um, these things also, particularly next gen, they they need a kind of quasi symbolic value. So, what is it that uh, what what's the kind of moral I I always feel with next gen that you're you're trying to pull out? What what is the bacteria testing in terms of the ethics? or the morality 
of the characters. And this is one of the problems with Shades of Grey is that they, I mean, we all know why it's, why it's a rush job and all these kinds of things, but I never feel that that is sort of tested in it. What's, what's the jeopardy about? It's not just adventure with Next Gen. It has to be about something to do with, uh, well, like that clip, to do with intervention, to do with personal loyalty over loyalty to a rule or um, some kind of ethical dilemma, what we count as sentient life. That would be sort of a way I would, I would go with this maybe because it would be prefigured in measure of a man and it would show, uh, show again how far Pulaski has come, that she's come from sort of questioning data's um, personhood to them debating over what this symbiotic life form is it they could they could kill it uh and save the crew member but or do they have to respect the life of it in some way particularly if it's endangered or threatened or uh, um or frightened in some mm-hmm. way so i think they would maybe explore the the nature of its sentience i suppose it's a story that next gen does a lot they do it, i mean it's the story of farpoint isn't it uh, right. to some degree um, but that seems to me a very kind of next-gen type of question. They don't worry about that in DS9. They just say, is it hostile? Shoot it. <laughs> sort of thing. But it, it, that seems a kind of next-gen question that would need to be posed and answered. Well, what if what if this thing that got injected into Riker ended up being some form of communication and this root was actually like a central root nervous system of this planet or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I could go with that. So destroying that would be destroying a, a way to communicate with the planet. Oh, that's very next gen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that an attempt to communicate with something that doesn't have a, a type of communication that we have, an intelligence that we have, I think. Yeah, I could go with that one. Yeah, I like the idea, although, I mean, I guess it depends on whether there's a certain element that we keep where it's it's killing all this animal life within like this huge radius like why would it do that if it's supposed to be a form of communication oh good question oh yeah i guess because there's all those fossilized everything around it right hey we're rewriting it so we could throw that out if we want <laughs> <laughs> let's let's put that in the maybe box <laughs> um well some sorts some sorts of life are simply parasitical to some degree i suppose you know that uh, that um you know, you compete for niches and you you sort of you, you eradicate other kinds of life. But if it's getting out of hand and destroying the ecosystem, oh, God, this is getting terribly heavy, isn't it? <laughs> getting myself in all sorts of uh, ethical quandaries now. So we've got a form of life that's devastating around it, but they're asking questions about uh, how can, do they prevent it or can they find a, a means for it to continue within its ecosystem without causing as much damage. Is that the kind of thing we would start looking at? Yeah, I, th- I think something like that. It's sure, getting really yeah. tricky. Yeah, it would be. But uh, so then with that solution, I guess there would be the kind of unique nature of, you know, Pulaski having that difficult time um, accepting life beyond humanity, I guess, because we've seen that with her interactions with Data. You know, Data having that unique perspective of, you know, even with the exocomps later on in season six, when he's like, I think this is life. And then we got Crusher kind of somewhere in the middle with her, with her naturalistic tendencies. Yeah. I was just thinking that she would, uh, so, we, uh, so Pulaski starts with a sort of, it's got to be organic, but kind of, kind of humanoid and data's going, well, actually, no, it can be, it can be artificial. 
uh, and then um, Pulaski would be going, well, trees are alive too, sort of thing, you know, um, um, which is very, do, do either of you read Ursula Le Guin? She has no. some lovely short stories about uh, uh, it, uh, learning to communicate with, first of all, you start to learn the language of um, animals and then the language of insects and the, the story sort of ends with um, listening to the language of lichen or listening to the slow language of stones or something like that. It's all quite metaphorical, but it's called Altar of the Acacia Seeds, who's a, an ant that's, that's written a sort of epic poem and thinking about what the poetry of ants might be and then what the poetry of, um, of what, what kind of poetry there is in geology or rock formation. Um, so it could be this life form trying to communicate. It could be trying to communicate that the planet is in pain in some way uh, and that it needs assistance to stop this harm that's happening. And something that, a solution that combined uh, what, exactly what you were saying, Pulaski's emphasis on organic life, uh, Data's emphasis on a, a mechanical solution, and uh, Crush's knowledge of um, uh, uh, plant life would, would be perfect, I think. I, I always think when I'm writing, how am I going to get out of this problem? And then that's how you design the problem coming back, I think. Okay. Is how am I going to end up? And then I can kind of back create what the actual dilemma is, I suppose. Oh, I, I have a thought. So they're talking about this, this animal life being destroyed and that some of it's fossilized, which means that it's been there for a while. So, you know, what if in the course of their investigation, they're able to do some kind of communication and, and figure out that there was this previous civilization there that created this this artificial life form that got kind of out of control and and destroyed them but the life form is still there and it's and it's sentient and it it feels some sort of I don't know pain or regret or some some way that it wants to make up for that oh I like that very very much that's very trek isn't it the kind mm -hmm. of um, our our creations uh, uh, we hubristically create life and it, and it overwhelms us. That, that would work really well for me. A small addition on that could be there's this life forms that have created this artificial thing, but I don't know if this would be too much, but maybe the entire planet is the artificial construction and or else this, this root system is like a, a security measure that they implemented over the planet that got out of control, right? Then it's also a metaphor for, you know, us going too crazy with our technology and it overpowering us. I'm completely with that. I like the idea of the, um, I like the idea of uh, it not being the planet, but it being some kind of defense mechanism that has overwhelmed. I, I quite like that. And I like the idea that because it's a root system as well, that's the impression that I get that we get this, this something that Crusher is going to be able to add to this because of her knowledge of, of uh, the environment and roots and, plant life and stuff like that. It's like when you discover that mushrooms have this sort of hugely complex underground system that means they all communicate with each other. They're all interconnected in ways that we don't see just because we see the little, the little thing at the top, little sort of fungus at the top. But you've got this intensely complex system of um, uh, mutual symbiosis and nourishment that's all under the surface. I, I really, really like that. So let's just let's just take a pause and see where we are so far. So we're going to continue with the story as is. Riker gets attacked by this system. He beams up to the ship. Um, we might have to figure out why Crusher's coming back. I, I don't know if we need to explain that, but Crusher's there with Pulaski and Data on the planet. 
They've gone down to try and get information on what's infected Riker, and they've determined that this is a ancient security device for a race that got out of control and ended up killing all of the inhabitants of that planet because their technology got out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go with that. And we're giving some degree of sentience to this to this device. Right. Which brings it back to Pulaski's understanding. Maybe maybe that helps her understand because she's learned over the year to accept artificial intelligence because she's learned to accept data. Indeed, yeah. And and particularly if it's if it's part organic, part mechanical, so it's a kind of organic complex organic uh, creation, I think would work extremely well. Yeah, I'm liking this. Why didn't they make this episode? <laughs> and then, and then our reason for having Crusher there is that she's coming back to her post, so we can we can deal with that in the opening scene. I think quite easily. You know, even if even if we had come up with this all those many years ago, they would have said, you know what, we don't have the budget left for this. <laughs> I think that was one of the things they actually spent a lot of their budget on Q Who, the first Borg episode in the middle of the season, and then when it got to the end, it was like. All right. So they, they ended up shooting Shades of Grey in only three days where a typical Next Generation episode would take six or seven. And didn't they have a writer's strike as well? There Isn't a, there a, a writer's strike? And that's why the season's much shorter. Yeah, the, the, the writer's strike is why the, the season's shorter and they were kind of pressed for some ideas. But at the same time, the showrunner at the time, Maurice Hurley, was kind of out the door. So he just kind of quickly dashed something off and left. Yeah, well, you, you have to sort of sympathize with that, don't you? And then it, isn't it the next season that Michael Piller comes in and it all it all gets a bit steadier, I think. But um, yeah, and I th- um, my sense of what I've read is that it's quite a... They're having a massive churn of writing staff that it's really... I think they're eating up ideas and uh, they're, they're exhausting writers as well. So uh, 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 I think Doctor Who does the same thing. It's, a, it's, an, it's like their ideas machine. You know, they, they eat ideas uh, up and, and you rapidly get burnt out rising on the show. So I can, I can see why he might have sort of, well, here's a script, make that. <laughs> but we're doing much better, guys. I think they should have hired us, definitely. <laughs> Okay, so where are we? Do we have we got a sort of perilous moment towards the end? We need a kind of jeopardy moment, don't we? Towards the end, I think. Is it going to start trying to invade the Enterprise? I tell you what. Actually, how about this? Because one of the complaints that I've heard with comparison between Pulaski and Crusher is that they say Pulaski's a better doctor because she saves more lives than Crusher, and she's a better doctor than Crusher. So this is what I would like to see. What if? Pulaski accidentally gets infected and Crusher saves her. How about they both get infected and they have to work together to save it? Okay. We're forgetting poor old Riker lying unconscious in all of this. So, yeah, maybe then that's too much to have three people infected then. Although there has to be a, I guess there has to be a threat that this uh, could break out and infect more. Well, but, but how, like... So we know this thing infects Riker and it's going to make him numb and, you know, eventually it's going to go to his brain and he's going to die. Like what in in the episode, you see that that, you know, Data has these quick reflexes and prevents Geordi from in the original episode from from being infected. But what if what if something happens where they see Data as a threat and infect him somehow and he, I don't know, becomes something something different or some kind of amalgamation? I wonder if that could be the fear that if it gets into data, we, we, we're ending up with a, with a much greater um, threat. But in fact, that uh, uh, being transmitted to this non-organic being uh, 
is what actually allows it to start communicating with us. So if we if we sort of created something that's part organic um, and part technological in our threat, uh, then getting into data is actually we go oh no the last thing we want is in in, in data will it will end up with some sort of super threat, but mm -hmm. that's actually what brings us to the resolution. It's the means by which data can that this life form, this system, can communicate. Well, we, we could do that, but I think that might be too similar to the ending of Evolution with the nanites. Oh, that, that's okay. That that happens later. We're, we're at season two. They've pinched our idea. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Except in, you know, our personal timelines, but we're, that's all right. Um, okay, all right. Yeah, okay, all right. So let's 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 threaten data. Do you want data as a greater threat? Is that the uh... How about the the ending thing ends up being that uh so Crusher finds the cure for it because because she knows her knowledge of the root system and data gets infected and starts the communication, but somehow Pulaski ends up communicating with him and they get this they get to talk to the life form the artificial life form and say, Hey, do you realize that the people that created you, you killed them all because you got out of control and the life form maybe didn't realize that there was just some kind of programming error that resulted in it thinking that everything is a threat, right? So then the, the final communication can be between Pulaski and data being uh, manipulated by this life form and they can tell them and Hey, wait a minute, you've done all this bad things okay, well, let's let's reset our programming or something like that. I hope I'm understand, making myself clear here. So it, uh, that it, it, it's that you, know, you no longer need to defend because there's no one left to defend. Right. And what you're doing now is harm and get it to understand the difference between um, defense and uh, aggression or something like that. Pulaski, uh, I, 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 would make, I would make that conversation between Pulaski and Data build on the increasing trust that's been growing between them in some way. So you would sort of, I know we've had our problems data, but you've got to trust me now sort of. Yeah. And that it would emerge from that. And he would, he would trust what she's trying to communicate back to this defense mechanism. Uh, so make it, make that global story reflected in the interpersonal story between the two characters. Is that the kind of thing that you're thinking of? Sure. Yeah. I think that would work. Okay, all right. So that would be our final kind of tension, uh, our sort of uh, jeopardy scene at the end, our um, uh, crisis scene, I guess. Well, an, an, an idea that I have actually is, you know, when you have communication with this defense mechanism, artificial organism, whatever it is, you know, maybe you find out that um, because, you know, it, it realizes that it destroyed this entire civilization and all of the people, and it it feels really regretful for taking those actions that over all of this time, probably hundreds or thousands of years of their fossilized remains there, it's actually been, you know, in addition to surviving uh, in some way, working on thinking of what, not thinking, but kind of analyzing what the, the cure should be. And it actually has something to give to them that it's, that it's you know, thought of or, or that's really helpful in, in their research that helps them to, to cure people. But then also it's interested in further making up for what it's done before by somehow becoming a part of, you know, some, the, I don't know what it would be like the, 
the the computer or you know some way that it could actually this intelligence could be able to to travel and help in other places where there might be like a plague or a mysterious illness or something like that with with some of the you know experience that that it's gotten i i really really like that i i think giving a redemptive arc to something that is uh um sentient but not human is is a very very next gen story it kind of asserts the personhood of this strange different life form and gives it a sort of uh, um redemptive arc and that's a very next gen story for me i think mm-hmm. i like that very much the only thing with that though then i think we lose the crusher finding the cure with the root system or or the plant life or something would be the only thing with that and then which we can lose i mean i just i just like that because they never really followed up with it in arsenal of freedom right so uh, no, but I mean, may, well, maybe you could have um, a combination of that. Crusher does find the cure through through the root system, uh, but in further communicating with with the organism, they they find that it does have you know this this wealth of of knowledge that it can apply, and it wants to to become you know in effect like you know roving kind of disease analyzer or something that that can that can kind of help in the future somehow. That that in finding the cure. Um, that part of the way she finds the cure is through, because the way science works is by chasing leads and following leads, and maybe our our root system had got so far, but it takes crushers looking at the data and the information to bring that cure, and 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 then then be able to carry it on elsewhere. If you see what I mean, yeah. So it's it's not quite got there on its own. It needs our lot to arrive to take it that final step. And from then on outwards, yeah. I like that. It, and then it could continue doing that, working through the scientific process and helping researchers elsewhere. I like that. Very Trek. Hmm. Yeah, very next gen as well, I think. Okay. Is there anything else we need to add, or do we think that's the... Are we going to cure Riker? Or <laughs> Oh, shoot, I forgot about Riker. Yeah, sure, fine, we'll keep him around. Yeah, we've cured Riker. And then uh, for, for me, this would, yeah, or, or not. <laughs> for me, this show would have to end with a, this episode would have to end with a, a sort of handover from Pulaski to Crusher uh, and, and a farewell between um, Pulaski and Picard. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and maybe we... Uh, uh, I'm not sure who, you know, you mentioned the last shots of uh, Deep Space Nine and, you know, pulling away. Who would who would you be centered on? Would it be Picard and Crusher watching Pulaski's ship go, uh, her shuttle go, or would it be with Pulaski seeing the Enterprise leave? Would sort of be the, the, the coder of the season for me. I was just going to say, I think that it would be that, that we would stay with the Enterprise because, again, the Enterprise is the focus, so it would be Pulaski leaving. Right, would be, and we would watch her leave, uh, kind of like uh, relics, I guess, when Scotty leaves. Right, we see him go in the shuttle. Um, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit of fan service here. And uh, what if we, the the reason that Pulaski leaves, and we find out, is the seed that blooms into the Athene Donald. Oh well, I'll I'll go with that. <laughs> so for those that haven't read the book, so the Athene Donald is the ship that Pulaski is on later on. Like, what if this is the start? Like, she she has this opportunity to do this project, and that's why she left, and that'll be the reason why she's leaving the ship is because she's got this amazing opportunity. Uh, with the with our with our disease solving 
a disease curing alien. That, well, yeah, I, I was thinking about that. Like originally at the top of the episode, it was an opportunity to work. I don't know at Starfleet Medical or some, which would be ironic since Crusher's there, but or, or some some other opportunity like that. But by the end of, they just keep switching jobs. <laughs> so I was we, really like a spinoff where Pulaski solves crimes and cures plagues. I think that would be a great a great spin-off series. Well, well you might you might have that because like maybe at the top of the episode it's some other Starfleet assignment that she needs to 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 go to, but at the end of the episode it's clear that a little time has passed and she's gotten permission to take this, you know, disease-solving root system with her as kind of um like a a, a special assignment to go to different planets that have plagues and, and have diseases that need assistance and they would work together. Intentionally violate the prime directive everywhere she goes. <laughs> well, yeah, that, well, I know that in the books, that's what Pulaski does, but, but no, I mean, I think it would start out as, you know, different Federation worlds that they're, that they're helping out, but then going to, you know, allies or potential Federation members. And it would be this way of, of just kind of helping to, to save lives together. I think that's great. I really like that. Right on. I think we got ourselves an episode. I think we have. I think we should be hired to do this. I think right that, on. Yeah, it's a good writer's room. And are we going to build the time machine to go back to the season two writer's room and deliver this to them so they make hey, it? Hey, guys, make this. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Do. Yeah. Now, the only thing this episode needs is a name. It's got to be something to do with root systems or doctors. We could have a bad pun and call it the root of the problem. The root of the problem? Is there a doctor in the house? Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> Two doctors are better than one. We could also put it out to the Babel Conference. I was going to say something like Deep Roots, but I don't know about that. But yeah, we could put it out there. And See, when we were first doing this, I was like, oh, maybe it'll just still be called Shades of Grey, but it should be called no, something. No, it's a much better episode now. <laughs> yes. It's a really good episode now. Yeah. <laughs> so let's put it out to the Babel Conference and then... Uh, after this airs, the you know, depending on how the editing goes, the next episode or two after this, we'll announce what the title will be. Oh yes, yeah, excellent. That sounds great. All right, so wonderful. You know, when you came with this idea, Brandon, of talking about Pulaski, and then I turned it into doing this rewrite, I didn't know where this would go if we'd come up with something that would be better. I figured if I started with one of the worst Star Trek episodes, we're bound to come up with something better. <laughs> yeah. But I think that we came up with something that would actually be, you know, really good in terms of, of you know, even the, the better Star Trek episodes. So. I think it would be hard to rewrite something like Pale Moonlight or uh, The Visitor or something like that. But I think we should we should now start now we've started at the very bottom episode. You should start working your way up the 700 or whatever. So what's the next one up? That's and the, the next children one. shall lead. There, so you can rewrite that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're thinking about next generation, it would be maybe Code of Honor <laughs> or Angel One. Yeah, but but like for this one, for, for Shades of Grey, a 3.4 out of 10 on uh, the IMDb rating. And just to give an idea, I think that's pretty generous. Yeah, that but, that three point four is for having Pulaski in it. I think. But you know what? Like, even if you go to let's say you know Code of Honor and the Children Shall Lead, those get like five point two or three, so they're actually significantly higher. So, yeah. Yeah, but but like if you go to the best episodes, those are always in the range of like you know eight point eight to nine point one, like a really really high average. Some of those those top episodes, but. 
Well, Una, what's uh, what's your favorite episode of Next Generation? My favorite episode of Next Generation's Conspiracy. I love that episode. I I am very I'm very old school, and I would probably oh I I I cannot forget seeing yesterday's Enterprise for the first time, mm-hmm. and it, it was just as I described it earlier on. It was in a it, it was in a bad NTSC converted uh, copy in somebody's room, curtains drawn on a Saturday afternoon with sunshine, and I thought it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. I, I I'd have to say yesterday's Enterprise. I think. Or measure of a man, <laughs> which is timeless. Uh, it's just great. Yeah, those are those are both fantastic. For me, it's probably something like yesterday's Enterprise, all good things, cause and effect. Those kinds of episodes, I I really love. All right, so we've gone ahead and rewritten Shades of Grey. I know you guys enjoyed the experience, which is great. I hope the listeners enjoy it. Brandon, if people wanted to find you around the internet, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. And uh, here on the network, as you said at the beginning, uh, I'm just wrapping up Melodic Treks. I'm co-hosting Warp 5 with my friend Floyd, which is all about Enterprise. And I'm now co-hosting as well The Edge, which is our new Star Trek Discovery podcast. And uh, as of our recording on this, uh, the last episode that I was on, we just did a commentary for the episode The Cage, which was a lot of fun. And you can find me poking my head up every once in a while on the Babel Conference. And if you want to hear what I have to say about non-Trek topics, I've got a podcast over on the Fandom Podcast Network called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And right after we record this, we're actually recording an episode on Season 1 of Bates Motel. So that'll be out at the end of September here uh, over on the Fandom Podcast Network. And you can find us on Twitter at Good Evening Pod. Excellent. So, Una, I wanted to ask where people could find you and if you could maybe say a little bit about any current or upcoming, you know, projects or books that you have. Mm, sure. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not as active at uh, making podcasts. You guys are incredible, the, the amount of recording you do. Um, I am simply on Twitter um, at Una McCormack. Uh, so, and I, I am quite busy on Twitter, it has to be said. I'm on there more than I should be just uh, complaining about uh, complaining about everything, to be honest. Um, so mostly on Twitter. As for upcoming projects, uh, I have, so I've just had a Star Trek book out, uh, Enigma Tales with, um, with Garrick and Pulaski. I have a um, novella coming out uh, sometime next year from Tor.com, which is very exciting because I, I'm working with, um, Marco Palmieri again for the first time in a in a long time so I'm super excited to be working with him and then there are lots of things that I'm sort of busy doing but they haven't been announced yet so I've got to keep them under my hat but um, uh, I, I think some of them will be announced quite soon so people who want to know about those keep an eye on my Twitter feed when I'll be I'll be banging on about them all the time as soon as they come out. Excellent. Well, it's been fun talking about sentient root systems and rewriting Shades of Grey today as a better Pulaski send-off, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. So yeah, I didn't have anything except I like the ogre being like really down to earth. Like, <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm Justin. <laughs> hey, <laughs> nice how's it going, man? Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, because you expect me to go like, I'm an ogre, donkey, or whatever. <laughs> but No, I love that because especially since uh, my husband and I have a D&D group. And so <laughs> I was looking at that and going, oh, ogres. That is just so cute. I wonder what his armor class is. Melodic Treks. I really like the two 
the two Fairhaven episodes that we got. I know a lot of people are either very hot on these episodes or very cold on them. They've never bothered me. I think they're a lot of fun. And they're silly, but whatever. But one of the things that's really cool about them is we get something different in the musical field for Star Trek with this wonderful Irish-style music. Earl Grey. Well, I just noticed mine deals with all naked people. (laughs) (laughs) Richard! Wow! All right. (laughs) Wait a minute. Oh, Justice Tappich, you're right. (laughs) Yeah! Oh, my gosh! (laughs) I just noticed that. I was like, oh! There's nudity in each of those episodes. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Well done. (laughs) TVMA. Warp 5. It was a weekly thing. It was originally on Tuesdays. At some point, Tripp decided to make it a nightly thing, or at least that was his idea, but then it went back to a weekly thing. I'm like, that sounds just like my life, because this is the type of thing where it's like, yeah, you get together every Tuesday, and then you got to wait a whole week, and at some point you're like, we should be doing this every day. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey, and that will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can find me on Twitter at trekfan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, and I'm currently tweeting out my rewatch of TNG Season 3, and you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So UK listeners, if you haven't already, please go over to iTunes, give us a star rating and written review. We'd love to hear from you. Plus, if you're from the UK, you have the opportunity to be entered in a drawing to win a fantastic book called Treconomics, which is all about the economics of Star Trek, especially in the next generation era. So again, if you're in the UK, go over to iTunes, give us a star rating and written review for Earl Grey. And you'll be entered into a drawing to win Treconomics, and that goes until September 30th. So please go on ahead and do that. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this time to thank our associate producers, Norman C. Lau and Michael Huter, Thank you for your continued support of Earl Grey. 
So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Things are only impossible until they're not.